Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. This podcast is marked explicit. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast. Now, let's get started. Thank you. And here we go now. A richly violent episode called Barbarian Warriors, Muscled Hunks and Other Men in Distress. This is an unrestricted and uncensored conversation between two male artists who each create explicit images of suffering and threatened men whom we see on their way to losing their manhood and the very lives. Oh it is lots of exciting and thought-provoking fun for one and all. Now I give you Madeira D'Souza from the United States talking with Sparky Shock from Canada. Gentlemen, I hereby turn this microphone over to you. Don't fuck it up. My guest is 3D artist Sparky Shock. His best-known visual works show male victims bound to a metal frame for up-close observation of their unwilling responses to the shocking effects of electricity upon human anatomy. What prompted you to get started in uh, 3D digital art? What prompted it was was just I found myself browsing just in general uh, the the forums at Renderotica, uh, sorry the galleries, and I was looking at some of the like you know the torture porn stuff, and I found a lot of it was sort of like fun, but it was very unsatisfying because like I was seeing like you know these artists doing various things. Uh, you know, torture scenes and that, and I just felt like I could do so much a better job if I had these jobs because it's like they're not hitting the spot. They're they're sort of they're cheaping out halfway through. It's like they're ash- they're ashamed to show that they're into this kind of stuff, and so they turn the artwork into either a bit of a joke or they don't go the whole way. And then um, just uh, you know, over the course of a, like a couple of nights, I think I found myself looking at model packs for like you get like certain torture implements like stun guns and you know shock beds and, and dungeons and things and i thought oh you can actually like buy these as a as a model pack and uh so then and they're really cheap they're like 10 bucks for a pack of this and a pack of that and i thought oh, that's pretty cool and then i knew about the software poser uh, and i knew it cost a fair amount of money it was like four or five hundred bucks but then i saw an advert for daz 3d saying free and i was like okay i'll check that out so it took me to daz 3d.com and uh, and the, the software you know, is is then well, at least at the time was then free. And the idea is that instead of buying the software, you buy models off of their store. It's actually a pretty decent business model because the the models themselves are not terribly expensive. So it allows amateurs like myself at the time to you know buy these things and get started. And instead of being a modeler or a texturer, you just you take pre-made models and you create a scene out of it, and then you can turn that into animation or a comic, uh, as well as we both do. And then realizing very quickly, it's like, oh, I could make a I could make a comic out of this. I could you know I could really pour my my most intense fantasies into artwork, and that's what started me off. And that was back in early 2014, and uh, yeah, that's sort of kept going since basically. 
We have very similar starting points. Uh, yeah. I did start with Poser, and I found uh, it was expensive. I found um, I didn't really care for the way they worked, they meaning the Poser app. And then I discovered yeah. Daz3D, and I found, wow, this is so much better, and I have never gone back to Poser. Yeah. I just think Daz3D is a wonderful app. Uh, like you said, you can get inexpensive um, elements. I call them digital assets. Uh, you know, and why should one spend the time doing textures and creating images, you know, objects like a, an automobile or a cowboy hat or whatever? The storytelling is what matters, I think, and what you do, what an artist does with his art. So, you know, I don't care that someone else created the cowboy hat that I just use it. And instead of a black hat, I make it white, that kind of thing, you know, so, but it sounds like you have very similar beginnings. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of funny because I remember having the same sort of discussion with a friend of mine who's a professional photographer. And cause we were talking about like, um, uh, you know, you get some comments from people saying, you know, uh, like, well, is, is it really your art if it's not your model? You know, you didn't make the model, so how much do you really own it? And to which he had a really great reply to that, which is, well, the photographer isn't required to build his own bloody camera from scratch. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have to be a lens crafter, and he doesn't have to understand microelectronics to make a circuit board and literally create a camera in order to then take an image and own the image. He just goes to a store buys a camera, buys a lens, and gets on with the process of being creative. And so it's very similar to that in a way. Like, you know, that's the whole point of the DAO's assets is there is a world of difference between a modeler, uh, a texture artist, a sculptor, and a, a creative in terms of the person who's going to use those assets and turn it into a story. And it's okay to be either of those. And a lot of people who make the models have no interest in making art with them. You know, the, the whole point is they make them so that we artists take them and then make something out of them. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's it, it's pretty cool. There's basically room for everyone in these sorts of things. I had a similar experience in the... Uh, I had an artist, uh, kind of a famous guy, someone I yeah. was in touch with, Martin of Holland. Um, I know his real name, but I can't recall it. I don't have it written down. Um, he is no longer living, and he was a very, very angry man, uh, he would, he would, we corresponded by email and he looked at the stuff that, that I was creating and he eventually said, like what your photographer friend addressed, well, how can yeah. this, how can this be considered art if you didn't touch your fingers to a pen or a pencil or a paintbrush? Yeah. And it's like, what, you know, <laughs> um, that's a real, uh. 18th century, I would say, perspective. And yeah. I, I happen to live in the 21st. Thank you very much. Um, you know, so I don't think people nowadays, especially young people, you know, they've heard of Rembrandt and they've heard of Da Vinci and whatever, uh, Salvador Dali and others, you know, that painted, created art with their hands. But mm -hmm. but so what? You know, it's the it's the interpretation, it's the viewing, the enjoyment is what I aim for, not for myself, but for the for the viewer. And it sounds like you are doing the the same or similar 
work. Yeah, I mean, when it comes right down to it, the uh, the medium is different. And whenever, because uh, I, I I don't get it often, but I've had a, a few arguments with um, with artists who are you know traditional line drawing artists, and they're the kind of say, well, you know, you're not really an artist. I'm like, well, for a start, I, I don't. I don't really, uh, you know, peg myself as an artist anyway. I mean, I kind of do, but it's more of a loose term. It's, it, you know, at the end of the day, the, the label doesn't really mean anything. I, I don't really care if I'm considered an artist or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever other name you'd like to assign to it. The, you know, as you say, the business of telling the story and showing something off is is more interesting. And actually, if I'm if I can name drop just a little bit, um, I have. Uh, actually, I think you do too. But a little bit of uh, communication with Lionel Cavello, who of course is uh, rather famous and uh, exquisite, you know, uh, drawings. And it's always fun uh, chatting to him because uh, when I'll, I'll send him some of my artwork, uh, just to you know show him what I'm up to, and uh, he's always kind of blown away by uh, the, the the actual the look of things there because he's like, man, I I couldn't even imagine how. I would achieve that sort of look. And so, well, it's it's entirely different discipline. I mean, these are not uh, they're not really compatible in terms of like comparing them. It's literally comparing an apple to an orange. Uh, you know, when you've got like line drawings versus three D art, it's one is digital virtual photography, and the other one is like literally like the skill of line drawing. So, yeah, there, there's no reason to get head up. I think about over any of these things because they they are what they are. Yeah. Well, and Martin of Holland, may he rest in peace, but I I didn't give a shit what he thought about me. You know, he made comments saying, comparing myself to him or his work to mine. And, you know, it's pointless to do that because, like you say, they're different. It's apples and oranges, and uh, he's no longer living, and we are. So here we go. <laughs> Not you. You're dead. That's, that's right. <laughs> the thing about doing what we do is there's an underlying, uh, underlying sort of, um, uh, well, what is even the word I can describe here? Um, it, it's it's a very dark sort of subject matter, and for most people, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And and you can see why, of course. So, you know, can't really pretend it's not. But uh, it's you know, what we do is we sort of lavish the moment. It's kind of like with a horror film. I mean, you know, a horror film is about uh, you know that quickening experience of, of of vicariously living something that you would never want to go through in real life. You know, you just have to look at like the Saw movies or you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that. You know, there's no way in hell you ever want to be in those real situations, at least as the victim um, or <laughs> or anything in that sense. So. You know, what we do is we allow people to vicariously experience some of the more extreme aspects of S&M, um, uh, you know, in a way that allows... Because uh, the way I always structure my comics is I want the person to feel that they can be either the um, the buster, the busty, or a third person watching the scene. So if you look carefully at the way I structure the sort of comics and such, they're usually done in such a way that you could easily sort of see yourself through the eyes of, uh, of, of both victim and torturer, but also to be able to step outside of that and experience it in third person. And uh, so it sort of covers all three angles. And uh, I, I think the best compliments I've ever had is when people, particularly with my Basement of Pain comic, where they say that they can sort of smell the atmosphere in the dungeon. They could go, you know, smell the damp that's on the wall, you know, and hear the, the, the sounds of, like, metal and chains and kind of stuff. And that, that's a fantastic thing, because I usually, like, try to make sure that, uh, pe people get the, the most sort of cinematic experience out of my work 
and that comes from my background in you know wanting to make film and everything like that. It's uh, something I aspire to is uh, not necessarily like complete photorealism, but I want to get that sense of drama across. Yeah, well, you touched on exactly the just the average guy that you might encounter on Twitter or Facebook, you know, that makes comments like, well, your work is hot. Uh, it's like, okay, <laughs> hot, what does that mean? Right. You know, so like, Can you articulate beyond that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah and then, I, I would say that, that with, with S&M and like ball busting and, and people who are into that sort of thing, there tends to be a lot more um, honesty and, uh, and I would say truthfulness to a person like that. That's not to say that they can't hide things and it's not to say that, you know, there can't be a little bit of subterfuge, but in general, you know, they're, they're going to be far more honest about what they want out of, out of, uh, things. And I, I appreciate that more than anything else. It's far more real, you know, in life, uh, to, to go through that sort of thing. I really like your work. I think you do, um, there's just enough. It's just enough out there, if you will, in the sense of the violence uh, that the character is enduring, and uh, you know the people that are that are inflicting the violence yeah. upon the character. Also very realistic. So I see what you're saying and giving the viewer the opportunity to be either put them put themselves in as the victim or as the one who's doing the torturing, or just as a the third party viewer. I am exactly on. The same page with you on that. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about, recipient of the story or the message, they need to let go of their expectations. You have to have what's in the business called the willing suspension of disbelief in that, yeah. you know, like Marlon Brando, when he made the movie The Godfather, wasn't an overweight Italian. Well, he may be Italian, but he wasn't an overweight guy, Vito Corleone. That was makeup and appliances and acting. So it's the same kind of thing. People need to suspend disbelief and to accept Vito Corleone is a good, a realistic thing, a character, but he isn't really Marlon Brando. The suspension of disbelief is what it's all about. You have to kind of set aside, well, that doesn't have my exact hair color kind of comments. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I uh, every time someone's asked me to, to do, and it doesn't happen too often, but, uh, you know, if I do get a commission to recreate someone, I, I will give it the caveat. It's like, look, this is never going to be 100% because, <laughs> you know, the, the sort of software that allows me to do the uncanny valley thing with you, like, yeah, that belongs to big companies like ILM. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, uh, I can do the best approximation. So it's it's going to be as close as I can get it. But, you know, yeah, you've got to allow a certain, um, uh, you know, amount of errata, as it were, uh, because what the fact of the matter is, even with the best uh, software, the best resolution photographs, you only ever get, like, you know, certain close. Like, I did pretty well with Mark, but even he, when he looks at his image, he's like, well, it does look like me, but it looks like me 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, hey, uh, you know, at least it's flattering you, right? <laughs> right, and that, and uh, being yeah. 10 years younger is never a bad thing, never. Right, yeah, if only I could do that for myself in real life. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being 33 again, that would be nice. <laughs> well, and that that's one of the funnest things, is that a word? The most fun things about digital is that I did create, as you have done, I created a character that is representative of myself. You know, I refer yeah. to him, the character, as the artist or the creator, 
not the creator in heaven if there is such a thing, but the creator <laughs> of, of of the story of the art. And I'm not it, saying I'm God, but I'm kind of God. <laughs> <laughs> well, we play in the role of God. Um, well, we do. We, we we create people. We create worlds, and and they live and die by our hand. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's an amazing. This is really self serving, but we have such power. I tell you, we <laughs> we create life and we take life. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's remarkable, isn't it? It it really is. <laughs> now, when you when you put a story together, where I have talked very openly about how my inspirations i create always i always create the character first mm. and whether he is an original or derived from a photograph of some other guy i always start with the character and then i explain it that the character tells me what they want to happen to them in a story which is kind of odd to say kind of spooky but i read about how paul mccartney gets inspired through dreams he gets music yeah. that comes in his dreams. He gets lyrics and so forth. So I think that I don't compare myself to Paul McCartney, but the inspiration is is elsewhere. It isn't inside of me. At least I don't know. And and so I always attribute it to elsewhere. It's out there somewhere, and it comes to me. How do you how do you work in that context? Well, the stories I've done so far, uh, like the first three uh, Sparky Shock stories were just kind of like, I just uh, kind of sat back and thought, well, what is my most depraved, <laughs> kind of like ambitious, you know, w what I would like to see or experience or, you know, like every angle of this, it's, um, it was just like, you know, what is my biggest wish list for what I would like to, to see and do in a, in a, in a scene like this? And I didn't really even have to think about it. I, I just put it together. And uh, so the, this, the, the first comic was the idea, and it was kind of just me really letting go. In fact, the, the first version of that first comic was, uh, was the first draft of that I submitted to Dreamboy Bondage, which at the time I was kind of doing a bit of cross-promotion with. And they didn't like the story because they were like, this is too complex, like simplify it down. And so I did, and then I came up with the second version, and they didn't like that either. And then what ended up with, instead of being like a full comic, which is what my idea was, they just wanted 20 single panels. And I'm like, this is so unsatisfying, <laughs> I can't even begin. Uh, I mean, I did a little bit of cross-promotion with them for a time, but uh, yeah, I haven't talked to them in years. But the, the first comic was meant to be the story of um, a, a guy, a young guy, who uh, accidentally happens across uh, someone he really lusts over in college or school or whatever, I guess like a high school, and he witnesses that person killing someone else in a very sexy way. <laughs> Basically, I have a bit of a throat fuck fetish. I'm not entirely sure what caused that, but I do. And so the idea is this guy throat fucks someone to death, and I just thought, that's fucking great. <laughs> and the idea is this, this other guy witnesses this, but instead of being, like, obviously he's, he's afraid, he's spooked and everything, but he's also really turned on. And the idea is he then approaches this, this person uh, you know, and basically admits that he's seen the act, he's seen what's happened, and, uh, but he's not going to tell anyone, he's not going to tell the police, but what he wants is for this person to do that to him. And this person then laughs in his face, turns him down, and basically, you know, just tells him to fuck up. And so the, the would-be victim is so pissed off and depressed by the fact that he has offered the ultimate gift 
and been turned down that he then proceeds to kidnap that person and then torture them. <laughs> so that was what was behind the entire first story. And so it's this person who you know, is this normal person discovers that they have a bit of a like you know, a bit of a death wish, and then discovering later on that oh, not only do they have that, but then they really you know because torturing this person and really really enjoys that too. So it's like wow, that's a, that's a serious bit of self discovery right there. And it was just me really letting go and just really like you know like just putting it all out there and, and just being like fuck it, you know, it doesn't even matter if no one likes it. But then of course I I put the comic out there and. Um, uh, obviously, it was only ever going to be a very niche market that was going to enjoy it, but uh, I found that market, and they were like, "More, please." <laughs> yeah, and then and that's the key. That's the key that there are people out there who want to see that, even if it's yeah. dark, even if it's involving uh, suffering on the part of a victim or death on the part of a yeah. victim. There's a death fetish, male death fetish. Uh, you know, all these things exist in the world that we are in. Um, yeah, we've chosen to be there. Now, you the work that you do, the storytelling about uh, characters being uh, tortured, and there's a lot of electricity or battery. I'm not sure how to yeah. express this in the accurate way, but some kind of yeah, electro tortures. Yeah, yeah, a, a metal <laughs> a metal frame, and the guy is uh, oh, yeah. physically in favorite. contact. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a shocking a pun intended response yeah. to the current uh, electricity or battery going through yeah. anatomy right and that's one yeah. of the standard elements of your storytelling very very vibrant very alive you know you can almost hear the sizzling at least when i look yeah. at it when you think about that's that, right. that's what I want. <laughs> right, that's exactly what you want. When you think about that, do you think about in the world also that we live in, 21st century, yep. there is military or paramilitary uh, torture of combatants, is that the word? Uh, soldiers, yep. warriors being captured and tortured by their adversaries. You don't yeah. seem to get too much into that. I've seen military themes, but have you chosen not to get into political in the sense of naming a country or naming a terrorist group, that kind of thing? Um, I haven't made any conscious choice to do that. I, I guess it's uh, I'm, I'm never really that fussed about particular organizations or or uh, you know countries. It's it's more been just about the I I, I think I've been more gravitated toward the. The, the more personal experience of a single person, not really caring what their reasons are, because the, the, I think the, one of the aspects of my work is that it's, a, it's acknowledging the fact that someone would torture someone, not because they're an enemy, not because you know, they're trying to get information. It's simply for the pure, dark, sexual thrill of enjoying causing pain, which is probably the most despicable reason to do it, but it's also the most intense and <laughs> kind of the most uh, compelling reason like there's a film oh god i can't remember i think it was eight millimeter i think it was a nicholas cage film actually a pretty good one and it was um where he uh, he's tracking down like uh, an organization that makes snuff films and and it you know it turns out like most of them are fake but like on occasion there's these real ones and uh, it was because a girl goes missing and he eventually tracks down the the, the torturer and he's he just expects a monster, and instead he's, you know, he kind of takes the, the hood off this guy, and he's like, yeah, not what you expected, it's just just a fat guy with glasses, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's like, 
we're just we just look like you. We're just regular people. We just do <laughs> we just do things differently. And I remember that film thinking like, God, that's that's more disturbing than anything else. Just the fact that like a a regular normal person, you know, and we we like to you know because people like to say, oh, this person was sick and this person was perverted. They're deviant, you know. They're, they're you know they're attaching all the labels, and that's usually a bit of a self defense reaction. I think to to uh, to distance yourself because the last thing you want ever think, well, most normal people do not want to ever think that they are capable of that just because like they are yeah because <laughs> we kind of all are really and and, and the, so the person yeah, that yeah. might you might think one might think is a monster could be normal and it could be like the guy sitting next to you the next day on the subway you know yeah yeah exactly. I have really enjoyed talking to you. I hope our listeners have enjoyed hearing us talking about what we do. One artist talking to another, sharing perspectives and horrible stories and whatnot. I really appreciate your spending the time with me today. Yeah, no, it's been great to chat with you. As you say, it's nice to chat artist to artist. And we do a lot of very similar things. And uh, I've appreciated your art, so it's... uh, uh, it's, it's nice to know you appreciate mine too, and uh, I look forward to seeing what we'll both come up with in the future. It'll be cool. All right, then. Well, you take care, and uh, it's been a great time with you. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you oh so much for listening. You heard an episode called Barbarian Warriors, Muscled Hunks, and Other Men in Distress. See the visual works of Sparky Shock online at deviantart.com slash sparkyshock. And visit mail.gallery for the visual works of Madeira D'Souza of Las Vegas. Be sure to tell others about this episode, Barbarian Warriors, Muscled Hunks and Other Men in Distress. Share what you know. Give it a go. Everyone here working on the Taboo Truths and Tales podcast series thanks you so much for your attention and your loyalty. We never stop thinking of you. No bullshit. That's the honest truth.